We are live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Educator Innovator Hangout on air. I'm your host for this Hangout, Kristen Farr. I'm the Arts Education Manager at KQED, and I produce a video series that helps anyone who wants to learn about contemporary art called Art School, and I'm here with my colleague, Annalise. Hi, everyone. I am the former Youth Participation Manager at KQED, and I've been working closely with our partners at Educator Innovator and National Writing Project to co-host the Letters to Next President initiative, and this is part of that. So, as you know, today is April 19th, 2016, and we're super excited to be here with an amazing group, a curator, a couple amazing artists, educators, us, you. It's really kind of, if I do say so myself, a group of rock stars. Um, and so we're going to talk about how to create your own public art in the lead-up to the current election, the upcoming election. Yeah, and this conversation today, which I'm really excited about, is one of a series this spring that we're calling Media Makes. And these are all going to be featured at Educator Innovator over the coming months between now and June. And these are hands-on hangouts that are part of National Writing Project and KQED's Letters to the Next President 2.0 project, which engages and connects young people ages 13 to 18 so that they can research, write, and make media to really have a strong voice um, in this coming election. And we see these as an opportunity to get practice using different kinds of media formats and digital media making tools as a run-up to the national call for multimedia letters to the next president that will launch in late July after the Democratic and Republican conventions. So just a few more things before we get started with this media make in this webinar. Um, for those of you who are watching the Hangout Live, um, we encourage you to post any thoughts, ideas, or questions that you might have via the Q&A feature that's embedded in the video player. Or um, please follow along on Twitter. You can tweet your questions using the hashtag 2NextPres. And we'll also be doing some live tweeting during this conversation at Innovates Ed and also KQED. So before we start our panel discussion, I wanted to show you the video that we just created. It's called Five Steps to Making Your Own Political Art. And we're using this as a catalyst to invite students from everywhere and anywhere to create their own political art to support an issue that they believe in that resonates with them or um, an issue that they want to address. So hopefully the tech side of it will work and you'll be able to hear the video. And if you've already seen it, um, nothing wrong with watching it twice, right? <laughs> so Leanna's going to play it for us. <laughs> Right now. Um, I can't hear the audio. Okay, I was on mute. Sorry, guys. <laughs> we'll try one more time. Um, I can hear the video on my end, so it's working well. Just give me one second. Was on mute while I was showing those slides. 
Thanks. Fans, fame, making a difference. This could be your future. Just create some popular political art. Hey, it's not impossible. One look at the pros will show you just how it's done. Political arts power is multifaceted. It raises awareness, supports activists or candidates, criticizes bad deeds, or makes a call to action. Political art amplifies and often spreads a message through online media and materials that are easily duplicated like posters, stickers, or stencils. Corita Kent, Banksy, Ai Weiwei, Emery Douglas, Barbara Kruger, and Shepard Ferry are well-known political artists. If you want to make your own earth-shaking, norm-breaking, point-making political art, take a cue from these artists and do the following. 1. Use iconic imagery. Political art often riffs on branding and visuals so common in society anyone would recognize them. Corita Kent repurposes popular logos to make statements on human nature. Banksy critiques cultural norms by appropriating pop culture iconography. Shepard Ferry tweaks historical propaganda to make statements about injustice. Start thinking about how to put your own twist on the imagery around you. The more you brainstorm and practice, the better your ideas get. 2. Develop a distinctive technique. Political art needs to be visually striking and easy to clone. Emery Douglas uses bold lines and powerful symbols to enlighten and inform people about issues of race and injustice. Barbara Kruger uses a winning combination of contrasting colors and big letters to start dialogues about inequality. These attention-grabbing styles communicate a big message quickly with simple designs that can be multiplied and shared everywhere, which is pretty key for getting noticed. 3. Tap into the topical. If you want people to notice your activist art, make it relevant. Emery Douglas's illustrations of civil rights issues from the 1960s still resonate today. Ai Weiwei's exhibition at Alcatraz raised questions about freedom of expression and political imprisonment. Address your era's most pressing issues and soon you'll have folks nodding in agreement with your vividly portrayed viewpoints. 4. Make your art approachable. If you want people to pay attention to your art, be direct. Most political art doesn't require people to turn to a textbook or channel their inner Socrates, and yours shouldn't either. Make your message easy to understand or risk being missed. 5. Get your art out there. To get your work noticed, you have to put it out in public. Political artists have a long history of making posters for important causes, organizing art shows, and sharing their art with everyone and anyone. So there you have it, the master's tricks for making successful political art. Simple, right? Or is it? Do all artists follow this blueprint? What about you? You have something to say. What would your formula be? What issues would you tackle? Cool. Thanks for playing that video, Liana. And that is, uh, you know, the video that we hope 
would help teachers introduce a political art project to their students and give them some ideas of how artists address political issues in their work. So, uh, without further ado, I'd like to briefly introduce everyone. Um, Fabiana, do you want to start us off? Yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, tell us what you do. Okay, great. Yes. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm a, uh, a social justice artist, and um, I develop uh, posters and different art activities for people to really think about the issues that matter most to them, whether it's climate change or women's issues uh, or immigration. Um, and one thing that I really loved about the video uh, and, and that I think is just really crucial overall is, is to um, understand the impact of how you frame your message, right? So you could talk about the negative impacts that are happening in your community, whether it's reflecting on police brutality um, or on deportations, or you could also offer solutions and talk about resilience and talk about the ways people are finding these solutions um, and fighting back. So there's a lot of possibilities in terms of tone and framing. That's a really good point. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you liked it. Um, Christian, just curated a show on political art that I'm really excited to hear more about. So Christian Frock, would you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Hi, everybody. Yes, I um, am actually working with Favi presently, um, along with 17 other artists and collectives and activists in a show that I have up at your Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco right now called Take This Hammer art and media activism from the Bay Area. I'm a writer, a regular contributor to KQED Arts and several other publications as well, a curator and an educator. I'm in residence this year, scholar in residence at the Center for Art and Public Life at CCA, California College of the Arts in Oakland. And uh, my work is really preoccupied with public expression and artists who uh, use art as a way of discussing contemporary politics and social justice issues. Thanks. And I love the video too. Oh, thanks. Everyone doesn't have to say that. It's okay. No. <laughs> I would say nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what I always say too. If you don't have something nice to say. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Deborah is a teacher I work with very closely who always has tons of great ideas for me in making educational media for the classroom. Deborah, can you introduce yourself, please? Uh, yeah, can you hear me first? Yeah. Okay, so uh, I'm teaching art and creative writing at um, Castleman High School in Oakland, and we cover a lot of different topics. Um, they're not always explicitly political, but I am someone who believes that whenever you're doing writing or art, there's always something political that you're bringing to it, some kind of message like, you know, your experience in life is always going to be reflected in your art and your writing, so I feel whether you're really explicitly saying, yes, I'm making a political poster, or you're just writing a poem, there's some social message in it at all times. Um, actually, we're just about to start this project literally tomorrow, although I've done it in past years, and I usually start by just asking the students what they even think these words mean. What is a political issue? How do they understand it without my, or before maybe I explicitly teach it to them? Or what is a social issue? Where do those things overlap? Um, I might ask them, you know, to name political issues that affected people in their family or 
to discuss you know, just their daily life at school and how that might be reflected. And we will talk even about the difference between political art, propaganda, advertising. Do those things overlap in some way? Are they all trying to convince you of an idea or sell an idea to you or make you change your mind about something? So those are all part of the general framework that I would present. And, you know, I actually made a my own sort of PowerPoint presentation before I saw this video, but I had a lot of the same images uh, in it just to give them an overview of political art throughout the you know, ages. And uh, we also look at graffiti. I should mention that as well. I think that's you know, very often a form of political art. So we look at all of these things and talk about what medium we want to use, and then we are going to go ahead and make art. Great. And write it. Thanks. We can't wait to see it, and I'm going to ask a little bit more about your past political projects with kids, with students later. Uh, Nick, can you please introduce yourself? Nick is an artist, a performing artist, and works with U Media. and I guess I can just let you introduce yourself. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, that's pretty good. Um, so I am a, I'm an artist, I'm a, mainly a performance artist in theater arts, and then uh, did a lot of graphic design and three-dimensional art as well. I am now lucky to be the director of the Studio NPL program, which is part of the U Media Network, and we're down in Nashville, Tennessee, and we teach uh, teenagers uh, poetry, creative writing, video making, music making, uh, 3D printing, uh, and on and on and on. Um, so I'm very fortunate to be part of that uh, awesome UMedia network. is really a wonderful uh, network for for educators and uh, and arts and arts professionals and teaching artists to get involved with working with young people. I will leave it at that for now. That's great. Thank you. That I want to do 3D printing. Can we come over there? Right on. <laughs> come on down. Thanks. Uh, so I'm just going to jump in right now. I let you all know that I'm going to have a couple questions for each of you. So Fabiana, I'm going to start with you just because you kind of jumped off on the point that I wanted to ask you about, which is what are some things to keep in mind when conveying a message through your work? And also, do you consider yourself a political artist? I noticed you didn't What does being a political artist mean to you? And then when you're sending a message, besides framing, what are other things to keep in mind? So, yes, so um, I don't consider myself a political artist because I think that all art is political and all art is always reflecting a point of view. And to, uh, because I'm a woman or a person of color, sometimes uh, the issues that my communities face are seen as political, but they're universal. So I prefer to use just, uh, just be, you not call it necessarily political art, but call it art and expression. Um, so that said, what I think are some important things to keep in mind First is that I always ask people what is something that they really care about and I present them an opportunity to make a statement in this way. So pretend that the president is coming to your school and they're gonna have a press conference on the issue that you really care about and the New York Times is gonna be there, the Wall Street Journal, the Guardian and you know that you're gonna be in the view of the camera shot and you and all your friends have an opportunity to communicate in a very brief moment uh, something that is very meaningful to you. So what would you say, assuming that you have 30 seconds of people's attention? How do you, I always encourage people to use less than six words. Um, and to also be very, very specific. Things like no war um, really don't touch your emotions as much as saying something like, um, down with fat phobia or something around 
um, uh, I am not a criminal, I am a human being, right? So I think that it's important to really think about your language and I also encourage people also to first think about what it, what do you essentially need to change in someone's mind, right? Because um, if you're, for example, if you're talking about climate change, well, maybe you need people to recognize that climate change actually exists. <laughs> if you're speaking about veganism or about animal factory farming, um, then you want people to have empathy for those poor animals. So always think about what is that emotion that I want to elicit in the other, in the viewer, and narrow in on that. And then I also encourage students to think about their images later, to first think about what is the message and then images will kind of come to you and you could also use symbolism you know things like stop signs doves rainbows stars earths fists there's so many icons and symbols that are part of our narrative that we can reuse that's great do you have any advice for like editing the text because um, we wrote a little like curriculum or wrap around info for teachers who want to use this video and then do a project in class and I had a hard time I like how you said keep it to six words mm -hmm. do you recommend doing any like longer form writing and then identifying words that stand out or identifying words that are emotional or Yes, I encourage um, the, the yes, no, and question, meaning first explain your issue in a yes way. So don't tell me um, uh, no to prisons, tell me yes to freedom, right? At first find a way to express the yes, and then find a way to clearly express the no. Uh, and I always encourage students to do thumbnails and to just jot down uh, different ideas. And then a question, right, uh, is um, where is planet B? Where is home B? Do we have a planet B? Obviously we don't, so that makes, just that very question reminds people that we only have one home. Um, mm. the, the other thing is to uh, just kind of uh, get into an exercise where um, uh, the students can uh, write down in a very loose way. I think it's very important to uh, remove the pressure of having a final product and more encourage some thumbnailing uh, just on a scratch piece of paper uh, and just practicing looking at the words sometimes stacked or not um, but really I, I think that starting with text is actually um, a, a good way to get your imagination flowing because when you look at a, at a representational image you want to match words to that image and that's where it's, it's the wrong approach, whereas if you start with language, then you'll come up with the right images to really reflect what you want to say. Oh, you're muted. I'm just not a digital native, I guess. I'm just going to admit it right now. I'm like, is this thing on? Hello? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. That was really good advice. And I just wanted to ask for one clarifying question because we'll probably have some teachers who are not art teachers. When you say make a thumbnail, you just mean make a tiny sketch, like practice it small before going bigger. I say make six little rectangles on a black sheet of paper. So excuse me, six rectangles on a white sheet of paper, and have them fill it in pencil, stick figures, really, really loosey. Yeah. 
Good, thank you. The sketching phase is important. Nobody just like, well, maybe there's somebody, but I always like to say in art, like it always takes practice. Nobody just like their masterpiece came out with no practice, but maybe some people would argue, but that's what I think. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to throw it over to Christian now and have her talk a little bit about her Take This Hammer exhibition. Cr Christian, if you don't mind, and like how did you do the curation process and what stood out to you and like what were you looking for in curating this selection of political art if I might call it that. Uh, yeah, you can call it that. Uh, the invitation from Deborah Cullen and the, the chief uh, executive officer Yerba Buena was to organize an exhibition based on movement from the Bay Area and I've been writing about that for quite a while and working with artists that work in that realm for some time and so um, I wanted for the purpose of the exhibition because this is an election year um, as this program is also really thinking about as well I wanted to show a range of possibilities for engagement of like a full spectrum of ways that artists are engaging and using um, using digital media as a way of leveraging um, their political statements but also the possibilities in that there's there's lots of different ways to engage with politics and to engage with um, public life it isn't just a matter of uh, protesting in the street there are all kinds of subtle activities that happen as well there are things that happen online and so I really wanted to think about what are all the different possibilities for that with the exhibition and I also wanted to think about maybe people who don't even really identify as artists who are making things that draw from visual arts or draw on um, visual arts realm to produce work that has uh, political statements to it and so it was an opportunity for me to work with some people who I've worked with repeatedly I've worked with Fabian on a couple of other things in the past um, and then it was also an opportunity to discover some new artists as well and so really thinking about a lot of different ways of looking at politics and a lot of different ways of amplifying voice and so there's 18 different types of um, collective artists working collectively working individually I do want to mention also I have the brochure here that up in front of my face and um, this brochure is available in the galleries for free but you can also download it from the website from Yerba Buena Center for the Arts website which is ybca.org and so if there are educators out there who are interested to get the brochure the brochure has new essays from Jeff Chang and Rebecca Solnit and myself and Jeff actually created a really incredible index in the brochure which looks at culture and equity and funding and politics in statistical terms and so I think that's one of the sort of primary organizing principles that I brought to the show is thinking about a lot of different perspectives and how to make it as um, multi-layered as possible and Kristen you're still turned off you're still muted Every time. Um, what's, the, what's the range of issues that the artists in the show uh, address? What are a couple of examples of like really solid pieces where the message is really clear? And can you just like describe a couple of them to us? Oh well, every single piece is solid. Uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's um, 
there's a whole different uh, spectrum of ways of thinking. And so the Bay Area Society for Art and Activism looked at, uh, took a sort of historical position in creating a timeline of different political actions that happened in the Bay Area. This is a timeline that lives online. It's manifested in the, in the galleries as well. It's actually in the Grand Lobby, so it can be accessed for free along with a series of films. The title for the show is actually borrowed from 1963 film that KQED and WNET put uh, produced with James Baldwin and so we have that in the, in the galleries as well in the grand lobby that it can be seen for free and so you know there's a historical perspective and then the works themselves look at all kinds of different things they look at um, displacement a lot of it looks at um, things that are happening here in San Francisco but that have certainly a national scope in terms of concerns I don't think displacement is only happening in the Bay Area uh, it also looks at um, gun violence, public violence, environmentalism, immigration. We have a project in the show, uh, Guantanamo Bay Museum of Art and History, which looks at um, Guantanamo Bay um, prison and the ongoing activities there. Uh, we also have an ex a piece in the exhibition that looks at drone strikes in Pakistan. And so, you know, there's a global reach to the concerns as well as a very localized sense of some of the really pressing things happening here in the Bay Area. Yeah, that's great. And it actually reminds me of another project we did for students to kind of make social justice issues more accessible for them to talk about in their art, which is a superhero project we did in collaboration with SFMOMA, where students interview people in their community to find out what issues they're facing and then kind of invent a superhero to address that issue. So uh, it just occurred to me now that we should share that as well, because Sometimes what I've noticed with teachers and the teachers in this room can let me know if they agree that um, art is a nice way to approach topics that are difficult for teenagers and middle school students to kind of wrap their heads around. So um, I we'll have a link to that. Could I add something to that, Kristen? Yeah. Idea. Um, one of the things that I've said many times around the show, around the exhibition, is that it, the ways that artists engage with politics, for me personally as an individual, not just as a writer and a, as an educator, but just as an individual, as an individual, it's how I maintain faith when terrible things happen in the world. As I go online and I look to see what artists have done, and I can usually find things online within 24 hours that artists have done to respond to a crisis or even a natural disaster, whatever the situation can be. And so I feel like one of the really exciting things about what you're putting together here is that this relays those tools to a group of young people who may not have the same um, access to news and information and to the, and to, and the ability to express themselves to the world, larger world around us. And so I don't think it's something that just adults benefit from. I think that students benefit from that opportunity to respond to the things that are happening around us every day. One of the works in the exhibition, I would say actually there are three works in the exhibition that deal directly with um, the death of Alex Nieto, who was um, killed by San Francisco police a couple of years ago. The verdict, uh, the non-indictment verdict came down just as we were getting ready to open the exhibition. And it was a, not only was it um, amazing to see these works in the exhibition, but it was also cathartic for the community to be able to come together in that exact moment and to see the work there. So I think there's 
many, many ways in which political art benefits. It isn't just necessarily about advocating for larger change. It's about knitting community and being able to respond to the things that are happening that we can't always control. Right, and I think adding more voices to the story, too. So it kind of spreads the message. And I wanted to just ask Christian quickly, you mentioned, um, you know, the realm of digital art or media art, and, you know, at the end of our video, we're like, get your art out there, but uh, we don't talk a whole lot about, like, put it on Twitter, or put it on Pinterest, or do you, you know, like you said, if you're kind of getting bummed out about the news, as we all do, that you can find something online really quickly. Like, where do you look and where's the best place to kind of distribute your image or your message once you create something in a way that can open up a dialogue? Uh, there are so many places to look, and I'm such a geek for all of these. This is like my geek love, is figuring out ways that artists do this. I mean, yes, of course, there's social media. I mean, sometimes some of the people that these ideas are aimed at might not even be able to to access social media, they might be too young for that, but um, there's also subversions of public platforms, and so you can do something, every semester I ask my students what their favorite social media is, and then I go to work trying to figure out how to learn it. So, you know, Instagram, obviously Snapchat, Twitter and Facebook, because of me being the age that I am, that's where I look. Um, uh, but I also see really interesting things happening with Amazon reviews and Yelp reviews and places that you're not expecting to find politics. Mm. Uh, really interesting interventions that have been launched online. Certainly there's also self-publishing platforms like Medium. So there's you know a whole range of possibilities for putting it out there. And the exhibition, SoundCloud is another place where we have a SoundCloud file in the exhibition. I think that just moving around online, finding different places to look online, um, you can find all kinds of places, especially places that aren't expected to be Great. used. I love seeing Amazon reviews subverted all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's a new one. Um, Deborah, I'm going to toss it over to you and just talk about how you think you might approach this political art project with your students. And also, can you tell us about that great project you showed me recently where they made work inspired by Kara Walker? And maybe just say a couple words about the artist Kara Walker for people who aren't familiar. You gotta unmute yourself. <laughs> it's not just me. <laughs> this one? Can you hear me now? You got it. Yeah. Thank you. All right, great. I thought I unmuted it, but anyway, I'll, I'll just start with the second part of the question. So I actually learned about Kara Walker in an arts integration class that I was taking a few years ago. And she's a local artist. Uh, she focuses a lot on slavery and the legacy of slavery, and she makes these larger-than-life um, silhouettes based on something that I had never heard of before, but called a cyclorama back in the 1800s, and I hope I'm really explaining this as well as it should be explained, but uh, apparently way before movies, uh, there would be these kind of circular rooms, or they would at least make them into some kind of cylindrical shape, and you would have these silhouettes that would kind of tell a story if you looked at them, if you kind of walked around, but there's really no beginning and no end. And the um, uh, Art 21, uh, which is on PBS, did a, a whole series of different artists, and it's very compelling if anyone has time to look at um, the one about Kara Walker 
she talks a lot about her process starting as a child, but you know shows a lot of her uh, more recent work and the um, silhouettes, which as I said, they're larger than life, and a lot of them are really explicitly about slavery, and they're very, they're very intense, they're very disturbing. Um, you know, there's no question that they're not meant to make the viewer feel comfortable at all, but they're very thought-provoking. And when I showed the video to my students, they were definitely very, very awed by it. You know, really, really talked a lot about how it made them feel, and um, from there. I didn't really think I had the right um, context to do a cyclorama, but we did just take uh, pretty long sheets of, butcher sheets of butcher paper, about six to ten feet long, and working in groups, they came up with their own projects. Um, you know, I said, pick an issue that you think is really important that affects a lot of people, and you know, what is it you'd like to say about it, but without necessarily using words, but cutting out silhouettes of whatever the imagery should be, and they did you know, some a whole range of things. Um, one student uh, did, well, actually a couple of girls working together did one on self-destructive behavior and it's really interesting. They had a picture of a slender girl looking in a mirror and seeing a fat girl. They had uh, people smoking cigarettes and um, I don't know if I remember all the images but it was amazing what you could tell with no words. You know, They were very well, I don't want to say drawn, but <laughs> very well designed. Another student did global warming. A um, couple of students did things around violence, uh, war. Uh, you know, the, the images which are posted on our website are very, um, you know, it's, they're really thoughtful images and they're very thought-provoking. And the students told me they really enjoyed doing them. And, um, when other classes saw them, they wanted to, you know, talk about, you know, what was what you're doing in that class. Um, as far as um, the project, we'll be starting literally tomorrow <laughs> in all six of my classes. I teach one writing and uh, five art classes. Um, we're going to start by, I will probably show that video as well as the, um, my own slide presentation. There's a bit of overlap there. But I'll just start, as I said, by talking about, you know, what are, what are issues in your life? Are they political? Do they... You know, something that affects you, can you see it as being an issue that is a larger issue, that is a social issue? And you know, that could be anything from bullying is a big issue at schools, obviously. Um, that was actually one of the topics that students did when we did the Carl Walker Silhouette Project. Um, that was one, one of the chosen topics. Um, but, you know, even things like um, students also in other political and social, you know, art that we've done, because we also do did posters, and um, you know some of them were just about you know animal rights. I was surprised at the range of things that they chose. Uh, a lot of things were immigration. I have a fairly large population of students who have come from Latin America. A lot of them did things about you know the border, and you know this was even before Donald Trump really started coming on the scene. But you know feeling really strongly about how difficult it is and the unfair treatment of a lot of immigrants and the other thing that um, I really am interested in introducing to them this year which I didn't do as much last year but um, I taught history for a long time and um, we did look at a lot of art through history but I also talked about um, at that time what they call the seven lenses of history so those are things like geography, culture, belief systems, government, social structures, science and technology, and economics. And to, you know, say, do you want to use one of those as your lens to reframe or maybe, you know, sort of streamline what your topic is? And I'm going to give them the option of working alone or together. And I guess the other thing, um, just actually during the discussion of, you know, some of the other um, artists who were on this particular 
um, I guess webinar, uh, made me remember a project I did a few years ago that I was just thinking maybe I'll reintroduce it because I'm really interested in giving them the choice of a variety of media. Uh, I was going to have them just do posters, literally, but um, a few years ago I did a project, it wasn't actually a political project, but it would relate very well, where I asked them to write a story and then do some visual images from the story, whether it was one painting or, you know, like a graphic novel type of image, and then to do digital animation, and then to actually perform um, a scene that would relate to it. So I'm thinking maybe that would be a project that we might be able to do this year. Um, I've also talked to our uh, principal about being able to do some murals. Uh, actually, my school is covered with murals. <laughs> But there are many empty walls. I've been talking to him a little bit about could we, could, you know, could I have my classes work on a mural together? That would be kind of, you know, the contribution of the class of, well, I have class students in all grades, so it would be the classes of 2016 through 2020 or something like that. But I think that that would be really meaningful to the students to be able to leave, you know, kind of a gift to the school that says something. And my students, you know, either sometimes very explicitly and sometimes kind of a, in a way that I think they may be less explicitly aware of, but they're always really talking about social issues. Um, even when they're, you know, sadly maybe putting somebody down, but there's often a social or political context to it. So um, I'm really kind of excited about starting uh, on them, starting with this tomorrow. Um, I've been kind of telling them it's coming and they're very Great. interested to get started. That's so. Yes, I you I did. Like, I you did. entered it ten times over. And you reminded me of a couple things. Personal anecdote, I got to do a mural at my high school. And, I mean, I was just talking about it yesterday. And it's been, like, 20 years. And it was very empowering for me to be able to leave my message in my school. And, like, for all the students, my well, teacher yeah. asked me to do it. It was a giant mural that said, relax, which a lot of high school students in theater class need to do. <laughs> so thanks for reminding me of that. Sorry to just share that story. Um, I also, you reminded me talking about the topics that kids address when we did the superhero project. Our top two issues, three issues really that students talked about were cyberbullying, climate change, and stress, which I think all three are also social justice issues. So there's a lot of like inroads into this making art to send a message that is important to them or something they want to counteract. But I do keep remembering Fabiana's idea about keeping it positive and like yes statements. I think that's really important. I wish we had um, that in the video. Uh, Nick, you still there? Hi. Right here, yes, hi. Hi. So you've had some students that made political work. Do you want, or, or, uh, issue related politically work. charged issue related sure <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about those and your work with new media with you media sorry and like maybe um, like characteristics of issue driven art that kind of stand out or help make it successful oh sure okay um, and I, I have to say with this superhero project you've been touching on um, I love it we did like pretty much that exact project in Chicago at UMedia when I was um, teaching graphic design and we did it at a branch that was mostly middle school students that we were working with and it was way out in West Chicago. It was not the best area of Chicago to be in. And uh, we did just that with the superhero. We asked them to come up with an idea. Uh, what's the issue in their neighborhood that they wish they could solve and they did it through the guise of these superheroes and it was so successful and they had so much fun and they found it really accessible 
both as artists and I think also as audience um, of each other's art. So I'm so glad you brought up the superhero thing. Um, and yes, we are tackling art, uh, politically, uh, political art, sort of accidentally in my space currently in, in Nashville. We do quite a bit of spoken word in our space, and uh, that, I think, inherently gives students the opportunity to tackle like social justice issues and political issues, and especially right now with the campaigning and with a lot of um, interesting sort of transgender rights issues going on in the southeast where I am right now, we've been hearing a lot of students uh, bring that up in their spoken word, which is fantastic. Uh, but we also found, and I love this story, and I shared this with Annalise a while back, or I think she witnessed it actually, was we have a button club, and it's literally that. It's kids just hang out and make buttons. They, they use Photoshop or whatever, make buttons, and they stamp out their buttons, and they wear their little buttons. They recently have started making campaign buttons for Bernie Sanders, um, which you don't see a lot of in Tennessee. Um, but it was super awesome because the, the girls that were making them are like in eighth grade, and I was curious. I asked them, you know, if you can't vote, I really want to know why you're so interested in this political process. And they said that, you, you know, because we can't vote, we found it important to get our voice out there uh, in some way. And I thought that was so cool. So they meet every Friday to make these political buttons. Um, and really, the young people that I've worked with in Chicago and in, um, in Nashville and from the stories that I hear from my colleagues, teens and middle schoolers are aware of the political situations that are affecting them and their communities every day. And they're looking for ideas to express that art. And I think that the video that you guys put together, which was a fantastic video, and I didn't have to say that, um, was great because one of the great things it touched on, it, it, the artist it introduced was like Bansky. So uh, he's great. He's very iconic. I think young people recognize it because it's it's silhouette, it's um, graffiti, it's spray paint, and it's stuff that young people can kind of get their minds around, um, which I think is wonderful. So I think it's a really accessible sort of uh, sort of art. So and that video just made some awesome points, like making it accessible, making it uh, reproducible. Um, I even wrote some things down in my notes, and I can't find it now. But um, And it's the same kind of things we, we try to teach the young people with art. It's try not to make it super, super crazy complicated and come up with all this imagery first. Try to think of just one simple message and try to challenge yourself to come up with the most, uh, the, the simplest way and the most straightforward way to get that message across. And then I think, as, as Fabiana said, then the imagery sort of can come from that language. I really like um, the button making idea. That's brilliant. And I mm -hmm. had um, a question. You know, when we presented this as like a media make via KQED's website for educators, we kind of emphasized making the art digitally, which I'm always right. pushing back. Like, no, kids want to get their hands dirty. We want to make posters. We don't want to just make a meme. But um, I'm learning more and more about how creative it can be to make digital right. art. And especially if a teacher is trying to do this as like a quick activity or even the sketching phase that Fabiana mentioned can be done through digital art. Um, do you have any recommendations for like software or apps for um, doing this project in a digital format? Absolutely. And I am inherently biased towards digital art since I sort of run a digital arts program. Um, but I think it's fantastic. And I think there's so many ways that you can do stuff in digital arts and then print it or make it or, or create a three-dimensional object out of it. Uh, obviously, not all sites can use like Adobe Suite, um, those sort of things can be very cost prohibitive. 
but honestly, I, I've always taught, and I, I still sort of teach and still sort of use it for myself, is Pixlr.com, mm -hmm. uh, P-I-X-L-R. You, you guys may have used it. It's totally free. It's sort of a scaled-back version of Photoshop, but it's kind of everything you need. Um, so I think that's fantastic. And then there's a ton of free software, like GarageBand is free still for a lot of things if you want to do like recording and that kind of stuff. And lots of great video software online, which I'm happy to to pull up a list of and, and plug it in with the links here. But um, but yeah, like that stuff is accessible for schools or for libraries or whoever doesn't have the money to pay for the Adobe Suite license. And I like what both you and Deborah said too about the performative aspect, because even though we focused on visual artists in the video, we're already thinking of ways to modify the project to work in a performing arts classroom. That's fantastic. So, That's um, fantastic, yeah. And I and I actually come from a from a performance art background and was working for a political theater in Chicago and, and I really have a soft spot in my heart for, for that. And it has so many different on ramps for people to get involved behind the scenes or, or on the stage when you're doing performative art. Right, right. That's what we that was sort of the culminating act for our superhero project is like design a costume, put it on and go outside and perform an action to solve the problem that you're trying to solve. So like one girl, um, her issue was stress and so she taught a yoga class at the school. So oh, cool. you know, there's all different scaling of, um, you know, depending on the age group and and the area and different things. There's a, I think there's a lot of room for political art or a superhero that fights for social justice. There's um, a lot of different ways to modify it. So I'm hoping that we get a lot of um, evidence of the work that students are making based on these projects. Um, I We're getting close to taking questions from Twitter, if there are any. Um, I just had one last question that I think I'm going to ask Fabiana and anyone else feel free to pipe up. If a teacher doesn't have an art background, do you have any advice for doing a project like this in class? Like I know you get a lot of requests from teachers to come to your class, so like do you have any just like tips about feeling more comfortable introducing a political art project in class? Yes, um, so first I would, there's a really great series uh, in, well first there's the KQED videos um, and there's also uh, Pharrell Williams did a series called Voice of Art which mixes, I'm one of the featured artists in that, but mixes poster artists with street artists. So it's great to show um, um, just different types of artists. The other thing is I actually do all of my workshops not on a digital program. And the reason um, is because, I mean, a lot of times I'm going to colleges and not everyone, like, we have a computer to work on. So what I do is just um, uh, have 11 by 17 paper, markers, sharpies, scissors and glue sticks, and um, uh, I, I wrote a book with Josh McPhee called Reproduce and Revolt, which is all royalty-free social justice image. It's called Reproduce and Revolt. Um, I actually even have the link of it as a PDF, and I just run all the stock graphics on neon paper, like, you know, those Astro Brights, mixed paper, and I tell the students, hey, if you really feel stuck, if you're telling me you really, really can't draw, here's a stack of stock images you can cut up and, and, and reorganize. So I, I would say also that um, it's, it's really important sometimes for the students to just kind of cut and paste their ideas and move them around. And sometimes you just need basic images. You need an earth, some vegetables, some fists, 
you know, some unicorns, clouds, rainbows, like just compile a few black and white things that can, can have different meanings and run them on a copy machine on neon paper so that the students at least also have some colors that they can um, reorganize. Uh, so you don't, need a, you, know, you don't need fancy art equipment for that. It's really an exercise in design, right, and in, 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 in being effective, an effective um, communicator. Um, I wanted to say something about that also. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, um, the question of I can't draw, which comes up a lot even in my art classes. Um, you know, this is, I don't think it's really off topic, but it's not exactly on topic, but it's definitely worth mentioning. Um, I discovered this um, writer, well, actually more designer, Mike Rode, R-O-H-D-E, who put out this book called Sketch Notes, and it's about how to draw anything at all with five basic shapes, a line, a square, a triangle, a dot, and a circle. And I actually do that with my art classes and my writing classes because I do want students to say, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of confidence in your drawing, but you can still use visual symbols to get your message across. So even if you can't, you know, draw with a high level of technical skill representationally, that doesn't mean you can't make beautiful art. And I show them the work of a lot of people who have done things with stick figures that are just slightly enhanced with very little and the message can be just as effective. So um, I do try to not let the I can't draw uh, get in my way. And I did that when I taught English and history as well. So Great. That's really important to remember because we get that a lot. And I, Fabiana, I love the idea that you had too about um, providing them with stock images because that's what you do for sometimes like labor protests and different movements. You like provide the artwork for people to use a la carte to make their own posters, is that right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to actually post the PDF on Twitter right now, um, and I'll make sure to tag KQED. But yeah, and also because there's just, you know, there's so much out there that artists want you to use um, that that really, you know, is, 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 is a good, I think imitating is a great way to start being creative. If you, if you really feel, if the students feel a block, they can imitate, remix, um, and, and uh, kind of make designs their own. Yeah, such a such a valuable tool, and like it's all about remixing in art these days. So, you know, I think that's a great approach. Uh, Christian wanted to add something, and then we have one question for Deborah after that, and I think we'll wrap up. The the one thing in in hearing this uh, conversation around drawing, the one thing that I wanted to throw out there is that a lot of the most political um, activity that we've seen in recent years has, has resulted from digital cameras, the ubiquity of this camera phone and smartphone, and from um, people creating a lot of citizen journalism, people making videos of things that are happening. And so I do think that drawing would be pretty, if I had to do drawing right now to make a political statement, I think I'd be pretty daunted. And I have lots of art school training. So I think that it's important to remember that um, that you can also create images using all of these tools that are all around us all the time that you can use you know a camera or a digital camera or a disposable camera uh, to create images or to capture images that you want to respond to and you can add text to that or not add text to that I mean there are quite a few videos that have entered the digital public realm 
I would say looking specifically at um, Rams Orta's video of Eric Garner's death, which was a mitigated video that just showed something happening underway, and that in itself was a statement. And so I think that when talking about how to give kids the tools, it isn't so much that they necessarily need to draw or to create their own images, that they could be responding to the world around them as well um, and capturing that through various ways. Yeah, that's really important, and that's what, you know, everyone's using their devices to take video and shoot selfies, and, you know, like, that can also be a tool, which is sort of what we tried to emphasize in our media make, is, like, make media. Media is anything. Media is a paper poster. Media is a little video. Media is an image. Media is a book. So um, I really look at that really broadly as, like, making media can really be anything and you can use any platform. Um, so we got a question from Twitter, I believe from um, someone named Renee. Hello Renee, thank you for joining us. Renee asked um, specifically I think to Deborah and maybe Nick too, have you experienced censorship in terms of what your students create in school? Like are your students creating any images that are so controversial or sort of tough that your principal has had to intervene or ask you questions about why you're talking about these topics. Deborah, do you want, Deborah, you kind of typed out your answer to Renee, but would you mind telling it to us as well? Um, yeah, maybe I'll add a few things too. I have to say, you know, I hear so much about teachers being shut down, teaching all kinds of things. I don't know if it's just my particular luck or not, but I've never ever had a principal tell me, do this, don't do that, you can't teach this, you must teach that. I've really never heard that. So I don't know if that's just me or that's more common. So I'm not getting a lot of censorship explicitly from the administration of any school I've been in. Um, in terms of um, what I kind of wrote as a response was I, public schools are a very complicated context and you're dealing with students but also their families and the larger community and it's very, very easy for the teacher to come in for criticism and maybe even something more serious, maybe reprimand. So you have to be very think thoughtful about what you show in the classroom. I do always try to advocate that I don't, um, I personally don't try to tell them my point of view. I mean, many times I won't even tell students, you know, what my political beliefs are at all because I don't want anyone to think I'm indoctrinating them. I'm just kind of, I want to give them information but not indoctrination. It's a very fine line. I try hard not to be the censor, but having said that, um, I really do, like, and this is something I do very explicitly say that, you know, in my classroom, I really do not want anyone to espouse any ideas that are hate speech or, you know, that would make anybody who is present in the room or might be present as a student, even if they're not in that room at that time, or any teacher, to ever feel like they're being personally put down or insulted or disrespected. So when you pick an issue, you know, really make it very broad. Um, you're entitled to your point of view, but there can't be anything that suggests, at least not in my classroom, um, um, you know, harming or taking away the rights of anybody else. But beyond that, I just try to ask questions, guide them, you know, have them discuss things with each other. Sometimes they're much better at giving more direct feedback than I am because they don't maybe feel all the kind of, you know, issues that I'm always filtering all my responses through. But um, I must say, though, I haven't really had any students really try to do anything that I felt like, no, you cannot say that. I don't know if that might happen, you know, tomorrow or next year, but for the most part, I myself haven't received any, you know, limitations from admin, and I have really, other than my usual, you know, kind of everyday rules, like respect everybody in the room, 
I haven't had to impose any real limitations either, which I'm really glad about. But, you know, who knows? Somebody might come in and say something, and I might feel like, you know, that feels disrespectful to that group of people. But I try to get them to talk it out as much as possible. Right. And starting the dialogue is is kind of the point, I think, of doing these projects. Um, so we're a few minutes over, and I want to be respectful of everyone's time. Uh, I'm just reading a note here from Liana, and um, if everyone, could you all just hang out for 30 seconds after this yes. broadcast and not hang up on me? Thank you. Um, and I just, uh, I wish that we had time to have everyone give a little wrap-up, but feel free to do that on Twitter or email us something, and we can send it out to everyone who's participated or watches the archive of this video in the future. And we're going to have a lot more opportunities like this in partnership with Educator Innovator. So they have a newsletter you can sign up for at educatorinnovator.org. And uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, you can follow Educator Innovator at, at innovates underscore ed and if you want to see more videos like our political art video you can follow us at art school uh, Annalise is going to give us some hashtags okay just um, mute that person because we get that feedback um, so yeah Annalise, you're on mute. Sorry, I muted you when there was feedback. Okay. Now, are you on mute? <laughs> okay, there's a very echoey thing happening. Kristen, I think you're going to have to say this. Okay. Okay, hers isn't, wait, now I can see myself on yours. <laughs> Don't point that thing at me. Okay, I'm sorry, you guys, technical difficulties. Uh, just follow the hashtag to next prep. Can everyone hear me? Okay, okay, uh, the hashtag for this whole discussion and all of the activities that we're doing leading up to um, Letters to the Next President campaign is the hashtag number two, next prez with a z. So to next prez is our hashtag. Um, and for more on Letters to the Next President 2.0, visit letters2president.org. Thanks again to our distinguished, amazing, wonderful panel. It was a real honor to just hear your thoughts on this topic. And we're really glad that you could be here with us today. So thanks again. And thanks to everyone watching. Bye. But don't hang up. <laughs>